Hey guys, I hope you're doing well. So today's episode, I wanted to do something a little different. I recently had the honor and privilege of being a presenter at the National Catholic Psychotherapy Association's annual conference. They have a conference every year, and this is a national organization for therapists all over the country and really all over the world. Even we have participants who come from outside of Canada and all outside of the United States. But I was so grateful to be able to be a presenter, and I presented on interracial and intercultural couples in the church. And so I want to share with you a little bit of what I discussed in that presentation and what the experience is like, give you a peek behind closed doors of what life might be like for those couples that you might know in your own lives, if, if you're not that own couple yourself, and what you can do about it. And for those of you who don't know, I myself am in an intercultural relationship, in an interracial relationship. And so it's something that's very near and dear to my heart and um, hoping that I can just share a little bit more of, of my heart with you today through this episode. So without further ado, let's get started. Hi, I'm Regina Boyd, licensed marriage and family therapist and licensed mental health counselor, and your host of the Connecting Out Loud podcast. Here we talk about connections with our families as they relate to our mental health and Catholic faith, all while connecting you with those you love the most. Thanks for joining me for this episode. Let's dive in. So the first thing I want to say as a disclaimer is it's important to recognize interracial marriage as a positive thing, that we should be using positive and affirming language rather than what is commonly referred to as deficit language. So this is to say, rather than speaking of any minority group um, or interracial or intercultural marriages as a group of individuals who are lacking something, in reference to the majority group, the majority group meaning homogenous couples, right? Same race, same culture couples, or intra-racial marital relationships, this is what they would say. So rather than viewing uh, interracial couples as as something in reference to the majority group, that they can be described in positive terms and should be described all and on their own, rather than being viewed as a group who is lacking something, but being viewed as whole individuals, whole, full, robust couples with their own unique set of experiences as a couple, but they live full lives. And I just want that to be our upfront disclaimer as we go into this conversation today, because I think um, sometimes there can be a little nuance there that is often missing. And I think it's so important to remember that. So let's go over a little bit of history too. Um, before we do that, I just want to take a quick look at some scripture. Um, we know that passage that comes that comes to mind as I'm thinking is new wine and new wineskins. So we know a treasure is brought forth from the storehouse and the family of God is reunited to participate and partake in the treasures of all. And then God's plan is made more manifest in the world. So when we, his children, live in harmony and reflect in the unity of our relationships and our communities, that we are all, that we are all God's children, we begin to experience what it means that the church is the sacrament of salvation, as we know from the catechism. So in short, when we can do this, when we see this in our relationships, when we can use that positive affirming language in reference to multicultural couples, that is evidence of God's kingdom coming into the world. 
just like the treasure being brought forth from that storehouse. So let's touch on history real quick. Less than 60 years ago, 54 years to be exact, um, in 1967, the Supreme Court created that ruling of Loving versus Virginia where they struck down the anti-miscegenation laws in the United States. So for those of you who aren't familiar, those were laws like where states like Virginia, Alabama, and many other states outlawed interracial marriage. And interracial, this is in the context of, you know, a white person marrying a non-white person. And so this was to help maintain segregation and keeping everyone separate. So that means what I want to pay attention to is the date here, 54 years ago. That means there are people that we each know personally. There are people you know. You could be one of these people listening right now who were are alive during that time, 54 years ago. There are people that you know, or maybe you are one of these people, who are able to talk about the before, during, and after this Supreme Court ruling. They could actually, they're old enough to remember and have vivid conscious memories maybe of their own personal opinions about that ruling, what their family members were saying about that ruling, and what, how society and culture shifted during that time, or what different opinions were throughout the culture throughout the United States during that time, what was being discussed in the media or, you know, at the local bingo nights or whatever it was that people were participating in um, at that time. And so, you know, I just know from people in my own family who experienced different things growing up. And so while it's a temptation to think about racial tension as a thing of the past, this would be to miss the profound impact that things like these laws, such as anti-miscegenation laws, such as segregation, had on forming the experience of people in this country. And, you know, we're not even taking into account people who weren't born in the United States at all and then come here to the U.S. and, you know, find themselves in an intercultural relationship. And so the reason I bring this up is because it influences interracial couples today. What do we know about interracial couples today? Well, as you can imagine, because of this ruling, interracial intercultural relationships are on the rise. And current data says that about 17% of new marriages in the U.S. are interracial. Uh, So that's just under one in five, right? One in every five marriages is an interracial relationship. And so there's a good chance that there are people you know personally in your life, if you're not one of them yourselves, you are probably connected to a lot of people who are in intercultural relationships. It's starting to become more and more common. So now that we've established a little bit of background, a little bit of history, let's talk about what the day-to-day life looks like. As you might expect, all couples, including interracial couples, share common experiences. So whether you're in an interracial relationship or not, there are things that all couples have to deal with, right? Couples um, might have issues related to their families growing up. They might want to deal with anger, depression. They have arguments about raising children, finances, everything you can think of that comes up as a tension point for a couple that is in common to all couples, regardless of if you're in an intercultural multiracial relationship or not. So there are many attributes in common in relationships, but what differentiates an interracial relationship? 
How is the couple's experience different when they are in an interracial relationship? Two unique challenges that I wanna touch on today are that first of all, those common um, struggles or challenges that any couple goes through, no matter what your racial or cultural dynamic or makeup is, these challenges can be intensified or exacerbated when there are issues related to race tied in there. So for example, someone's family, so um, mother-in-law or father-in-law, the parents of the couple, that family, what we call their family of origin, those issues related to family could be intensified if one or both members of the couple perceive that their in-laws are prejudiced against their racial group. So in this case, the couples, the family members, the in-laws could be introducing conflict into the relationship. So they might have a hostile or judgmental attitude towards a spouse or even children that result from that marriage. I've heard of couples where um, in an interracial relationship where uh, the white person's extended family was actually actively praying, praying against them to have children. And so you can imagine that this really causes a strain on the interracial couple, not so much between the two of them arguing because they're fine, you know, but it is an added stressor. And then when you think about those different situations that come up for couples every day, you know, oh, we need help with this or we need advice about this situation. They now have one less couple that they can go to in their network, in their community of relationships. They now have one less couple that they can go to and ask for advice or support when those common everyday issues come up. The second unique factor that I want to talk about is that couples can also experience tension or stress in their relationship due to their unique cultural backgrounds. So this can present areas of friction um, as members of the couple have different philosophies about maybe raising children or parenting. And especially, this is especially in the case in couples where one person is coming from outside of the United States or other Western nations, one member of the couple may have very different boundaries in terms of family interaction, how much family, how much interaction is appropriate with our extended family members, or how much financial support should we be giving to our family members. So depending on culture and countries of origin in the couple, there's different beliefs about what does family look like and how do we live this out in the day-to-day. So those are two common unique things. In addition to that, so those are some of the things that compound or intensify from a couple. So those are things that already normal everyday couples deal with, but they're sort of compounded in a way when we take culture and race into account. But additionally, there are some unique challenges related to race that come across in multicultural interracial relationships. So this could be an experience of overt or direct racism. At one point, you know, one or both members of the couple, maybe they're out in public and somebody tells them that they're disgusting. And, you know, these accounts that I am relaying to you, by the way, are, you know, have been reported to me uh, by people. So I've heard this, you know, with my own ears. Um, But yeah, just being walking along, doing minding their own business and being told that they were disgusting out of the blue. Um, It could be experienced indirectly by one or both members of the couples because of racially motivated crime, national dialogue about things about race, immigration, foreign policy. In addition to 
overt racism. Interracial couples may experience passive or even indirect, maybe not as overt types of racism or prejudice or discrimination. There's still a social stigma in the wider culture around interracial marriages. And so this can come from in the form of disapproval, judgment, unwelcome and intrusive questions or comments. Um, I just had some friends recently, um, my husband and I were able to meet up with some dear, dear friends and they shared about an experience of being in a restaurant and how a perfect stranger came up to them and uh, asked the Caucasian husband, you know, where'd you, where'd you get her? Um, and so that's what I mean by unwelcome or intrusive comments or questions. <laughs> um, so the disapproval can be implicit and may come in the form of a stare or a sideways glance or it can be explicit or oftentimes assuming that you're, as the couple, they're not actually together at a restaurant. So being asked if you're on the same check over and over, or you know, if you're waiting in line, being cut off, one of you gets to go ahead and the other one doesn't because they're assuming you're not together, things like that. One thing that I found is really interesting through all this is that self-identity and particularly the racial identity it's a very important role and plays a unique role in the marital satisfaction of interracial, intercultural couples. So in the case of an individual whose racial identity is in flux or not as strongly established, um, the status of their relationship and how they would rate their satisfaction um, can, if it's, in de- if it's in flux, can uh feel decreased and therefore there's an increased likelihood of divorce which i think is really interesting and so as parents if you are parents of multi-ethnic multiracial children or any type of racial group it's going to be really important to provide that strong sense of self-identity if you're a caucasian parent of a black child or a hispanic child it's going to be really important for you to be giving that strong sense of identity so that in the future, if your child does end up in an interracial relationship, which is very likely as the, they are on the rise, right? Um, if they find themselves in a relationship like that, you're going to be setting them up to have more marital success because they are confident in whom they are as individuals and knowing that they are beautiful, intelligent, capable people who um, can do anything. So where do we go from here? What do we do with all of this information? I think a Catholic understanding, a Christian worldview tells us what to do as the rich tradition of our faith helps us understand both what it means to be a person and understand the purpose of marriage. So we as Christians are uniquely poised to help the world, help the world. As the rate of interracial marriages increases, we are a church that is already present among every culture and recognizes the value of every individual. So for those who are in need and hurting and of greater support, and by the way, they could still be hurting even if you haven't heard them say anything to you. They could have experienced these situations and had these family dynamics or had you know, societal approval, unwelcome questions and comments, those could all be happening even if you're not aware of that. And so we can be there. We can be ready to respond to needs as they arise. 
Our willingness to respond to our neighbor in need comes from our understanding that the individual has infinite value and is an unrepeatable soul made in the image and likeness of God. We bear the Trinitarian image in our bodies and our marriage bears a unique resemblance to that Trinity that is unlike anything else seen in the world. So whether we accept this identity or not is up to us. And we can see that parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. When we come to our senses and recognize that life is so much better with our father living as his son or daughter, we return to him in humility and he responds with an abundance of generosity, putting that ring on our finger and sandals on our feet. However, the opposite is also true. When we act like the older son and stubbornly standing off and refusing to love our brother with whom we share both of our humanity and our divine stamp, we reject our identity. We reject it. For interracial couples, they are have this same calling, this same vocation. They are called to live Trinitarian love and let that love shine forth as a sign to the world, as marriage is supposed to be a sign to the world. And in a unique way, perhaps interracial marriages speak of an additional facet of God's goodness and that he reconciles the differences between the nations and brings all people into his body, the church. I like to think of interracial couples, um, us as a sign of hope for the future, a sign of that higher calling coming to life. And so what a great task we have then, that we are tasked in helping restore this icon to its splendor, restoring the icon to its full glory so that a couple can shine forth through our very support. As Christians, we are uniquely poised to help support these couples because of the diversity in our own communities, in our parishes, and what we know theologically that inspires us and encourages us to uphold the dignity of the individuals and the sacrament of marriage. And so our communities can be like a surrogate family for those who don't have that support of their own families of origin and welcome and be a welcome culture for those who have left so much of what is familiar behind. And hopefully when we're welcoming these couples into our communities and into our parishes and friendships, we allow them the opportunity to interact with others who are like them and therefore indirectly affirming that they belong both as a couple and as an individual. And so that's what I wanted to share with you today, just some things that I was reading and just little um, glean, things that I uh, gleaned from my presentation. And I hope that you found that helpful. I just think this message really provides a sense of hope um, of how we can all come together and hopefully that you feel inspired to reach out more, uh, to be more attentive to those in your own circles and to think about ways that you can be more welcoming um, and extending generosity towards others. For those of you who don't already know, I forgot to mention earlier that I myself am in, in, in an interracial relationship. And so this is a topic that's really dear to my heart and I'm just so happy to be able to share that with you all. Thanks so much for listening and letting me share my heart with you. And please write a review. Let me know in the comments how you're liking the show. And if you are enjoying the show, please share it with a friend so we can spread the good news of connecting with others. If you have enjoyed this episode, you can find more Connecting Out Loud content on our Facebook and Instagram pages. As always, I appreciate each and every review. So if you can take some time to rate and review this show, I read each one and I love hearing from you. 
be intentional and connect out loud.